Welcome to the Every Thought Matters podcast, where I get a chance to talk to people about their thoughts, their journeys, and have a little fun and hopefully learn something about ourselves along the way. So please click like, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a comment, and thank you so much for listening. It truly means a lot to me. Have a great day, and remember, every thought does matter. Hey guys, did you know that you can burn up to 40 calories for every 15 minutes of laughing? Get in shape with that trophy wife life. We are a comedy podcast that guarantees to make you really, really, really good looking. Join us as we discuss hard-hitting, important topics like asshole kid moments, the best drunk stories, best pranks ever pulled, and the dumbest criminals that get themselves busted. So if you want to lose weight and be really, really, really good looking, find that trophy wife life today. Available on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. Don't forget to rate and review. Only five stars are being accepted at this time. And until our next episode, keep living that trophy wife life. Tune in to this episode of the Every Thought Matters podcast with Richard Rosso. Rich is a financial planner, guest expert on Houston's local morning TV shows, does radio, he's a screenwriter, and much more. We talk about a lot and we catch up a little as we're old time friends. Tune into this episode and hear some interesting stories about The Walking Dead and how that connects to Codependent No More, the book by Melody Beatty. It's a great episode. I hope you like it and enjoy. All right. I'm here with Richard Rosso, a screenwriter, a financial planner and does TV gigs even and lives out there in the Houston area. Welcome to my podcast, Rich. Yeah, good seeing you, man. I like your little every thought matters. Is that a pillow or is that a just a it looks it's like a, a pillow almost. Oh, it's a board. It's a, yeah, my sister made it for me and sent it to me for that's, Christmas last year. So it's that's really very neat. cool. Yeah. And I like it and I, she totally surprised me. She didn't even tell me she was going to make it. And I think it's, you know, I keep that in my profile picture on Facebook and, and other places just so people know what I'm about a little bit, you know? That's that's good, man. I like it. It fits perfect. Yeah, well, you know how it is. You've done so many Zoom calls, I'm sure, over the pandemic that you know how to fit your frame and know how to do proper lighting now. We all do now. Even the neo, you know, the people who've never done it before <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I need a ring light now, you know, and that kind of crap. That's so I right. figured out how to make this thing work for me to where my guests can see me and my, even though my audience can't, but at least you'll, the guests will remember that's what this podcast is about. So, and I like it to be podcast because I love to talk to people about origin stories and I know most of yours, but I think my audience, my audience would be very fascinated about your Brooklyn rough. Uh, roots. And I'm going to tell you a story before I do that, because the town I grew up in called Calendar, Iowa, literally was owned, I swear to God, it said this, it was owned by some, a couple out of Brooklyn. Yeah, back in the late 19th century, like 1860 something or other. Somehow they owned that track of land and they sold it to people and that became Calendar, Iowa. And they were from wow. Brooklyn. Though. Yeah. Wow. 
the, the one thing about I think Brooklyn people is uh, is resourcefulness. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's probably true of anybody who grows up in an urban center. Um, and, you know, it, from a lower income family, especially, you know, not you're sort of subject to everything around you and you become part of everything around you as well. You become a part of the subway, the dirt in the street and the dog crap in the grass. Yep. You're like another organism. Uh, and yet, and you know what that does? It, uh, it creates this empathy bone uh, in you uh, because you're just a small part of this big thing. And when you're gone, this big thing still goes on. Um, so, you know, Brooklyn was, uh, and I, I guess in some parts of Brooklyn, it's still the same. But I'm in these Brooklyn groups and everybody's lamenting about how different it is. And it is, uh, you know, now all the all people that would have money want to live there. I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. Everybody <laughs> wanted to stay there. I wanted to get out, right? Because it was like, this is not for me. And I don't like all this dirt and all that. It, and I wound up in Houston, which is sort of dirty. Uh, I don't plan to stay here forever, but um, at least I got always wanted to look at being in Texas or some other place. Um, but, you know, you know how it is like you being from where you are, you know, as you get older, you, you sort of get a little more sentimental and you remember the, the better things about where you grew up, whether it was the food or the people, um, you know, the, the way the trees would bloom in the fall yeah, how winter was and the snow and you know, like change of seasons were very sensitive for me. Were they for you? Yeah, like I felt um, the change. I felt the change. It was always like like my life changed when the seasons changed in a way, good yeah. and bad. I don't know. It's yeah, sort of well, weird. It's not weird actually because I used to get seasonal effect disorder long before anybody even knew what that was. Because uh -huh. in the plains, as you know. The, the seasons do change. You have the drastic changes, but there's days in January and February where you wouldn't see the sun. And that, that honestly, even down here in Rockport affects me. I go like, if we have like a week's worth of cloudy days, that affects my mood. Cause I love the sunshine. Uh -huh. So I know what you're talking about there. Cause the weather all has a growing up in the Midwest where you did have four seasons, you would be affected by it though. Yeah, it's like the sweater was this whole monochrome thing. Yeah. Um, where, you know, and it does affect you. And, you know, where you are, where I am, you know, it's not a lot of sun. Uh, it's it go through a lot of clouds. And that's why, like, if I go to Colorado or anywhere else where it's a lot of sunshine, I feel better. I feel different. I feel cleaner. Whatever it is. Uh, but growing up in Brooklyn was fun. A lot of what I loved was all the different people. You know, all this talk today about everybody's so divided and nobody gets along and everybody's a racist. And uh, yeah. I had friends of all colors, ethnicities, incomes. Yeah. You know, listen, if you were an asshole, it didn't matter what color you were. <laughs> You're an asshole. Um, yeah. If you were a great person, people overlook the color. Now, for some reason, we don't seem to worry about that. But so. And then I grew up with all these great foods, like all these different people that lived in my, my, my apartment building. Mm -hmm. you know, around six o'clock, your nose would explode because there was the Italian, you know, Mrs. Minetti's cooking this and Mrs. Moskowitz is cooking that. 
And then there's this uh, African group that lived in another apartment and they're making this and you're like, you're having a food, you know, you're having like this nose gas. Wow. Like, and it was cool as I was able to be friends with all these people and try all these foods. And it was amazing. So, you know, everybody was more community. We, we don't have that really anymore, but everybody knew each other. Doors were open. You walked in and out. Um, and you just became a part of the city. You, you were part of something that beat and you felt the bleed, you felt the blood, you felt uh, everything. And even in the roughest parts, I felt safe because I felt safe inside. So uh, even though I came up, you know, actually was safe and probably outside my apartment because my house was so tumultuous. It was probably safe for me to be somewhere else. Um, so, you know, I don't think I ever give it up. Um, so you learn, you know, I, you know, when you write a script, they talk about the, I can't remember what they call it, the circle of being or the, you know, take the, remember, create your character from the time they're like 13 or 14, because that's when you remember everything. Interesting. Right? It's like, like, in other words, they say, take your character. And mm -hmm. I can't remember the term they use, but it's take that character from that, that, influential period of time uh age 13 to 16 because that's the times they probably will remember and form them as adults and when i think about it i think about all the things that happened to me between 12 and 14 and like i still remember them and they did influence me um so you know it's it's not that it's far off when you read some of these great writers of books who on script writing and they talk about that, that age to take your character from there. Because there's something there that formed that character that's still with them today. And I think that's the same for me. Uh, I think it's also the same for life, though. I mean, that is how we were like how you remember Brooklyn. I remember, you know, I didn't have I didn't you literally grew up in a melting pot, which was wonderful because that opens your eyes to every possibility that's out there. Like you get to, you got to smell all of that. So that makes you so much more aware of everything that's around you, no matter where you go, that opens your eyes to all of those different possibilities. That's kind of how I see it. And further to your point between the 12 and 14 year old thing, that's interesting you say that because uh, one of my therapists talked to me about it and she's like, yeah, when you coach people, Talk to them about those that 12 to 14 year old times because that's going to form how they're reacting to what are what I'm reacting to right now at the age of 56. Those 12 to 14 year old me is reacting to that based on that programming. Not and that's interesting that you found that because all the screenwriting stuff I read and and worked on never talked about that. But I think that's absolutely brilliant because that tells you where your character is going to make their choices. It is. It it forms them. I don't know. There's an imprint there and it's a good, bad, it's a good or bad imprint. And I've had to work on, I had to work on uh, sort of patching over the bad imprints. Um, and, and I did, you know, you know, uh -huh. you know, my mother was very dependent on me. So, you know, she yeah. tried to commit suicide multiple times. I took care of her. So, you know, I always had this pattern in my life and any woman I ever met that 
you know, she needed fixing and I was going to fix it. Or, and I was like, you know what? You know, about four years ago, yeah, five years ago, I said to myself one day, I said, you know what? I can't fix shit. I'm not here to fix anybody. I'm not here to fix anybody. And what I did is for about four years, I, oh, well, no, three and a half years. I just became totally celibate. I, I worked on me. I, I went out with people, but I changed my scope. Like I can't fix anybody. And if my gut tells me you're going into that pattern, I'm going to get out of the pattern. And it's amazing. It changed my whole life. Like you said, um, breaking that pattern and realizing there was nothing, there was nothing to it. It was all in my head. Uh, was amazing, but I needed the time by myself to uh, actually realize uh, realize that. And um, it became me better. It became, I became a better writer. I became a better understanding of me. I created, I forged boundaries a lot deeper around no. If I didn't want to do something, I wasn't going to do it. If my gut said don't do it, I didn't do it. And I... It, it totally changed my direction. It totally changed yeah. how I thought about them. So and that's good because you went to this point of I got boundaries say no to make your yes mean more, which we've all heard that. And it's easy to put that on a meme or whatever, but it's hard to do in real life. But yet you went and did that in real life. You went and said, I'm going to say no more, you know, because these are, just, I've got to take care of me. And that's an incredible thing to actually acknowledge about yourself. Cause a lot of us won't do that. We, and you and I both know a lot of people that won't go down those hard paths and try and say no. So their yes means more. Do you just have a light bulb come on or you're just like, you just realize you, know, you sort can't of, fix I think, anybody. I think, I think I realized it was really a dead end. Um, and it was creating a lot of drama around me. And I just remembered some two about I that wasn't what I wanted to be. I wanted to change that. Um, yeah. And I started to really love the calm and love the quiet. Uh, I'm not a lonely person. Uh, I don't feel alone. I never have, even as a kid. And maybe because I'm an only child. Um, I have books. I write. You know me. We like we all. We read a lot right. of books. We, you know, uh, we you know, we're our own best company that yep. I don't think that's a bad thing. And, um, that's when you and I talked, I said, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to take screenwriting course. I've been writing for a couple of things. And, um, and you know, I went through this whole learning process and also, you know, the funny thing is you, and you notice from just writing and the screenwriting process, you really need to know a lot about yourself and the dialogue within your own head. And then you start to share that dialogue with characters and go, shit, I, you know, characters is supposed to be dramatic. I don't want to be dramatic. I don't want to have the drama that my characters have. So I wow. changed. Wow. So I changed. That's you know, the screenwriting, Kelly, the screenwriting opened up a whole different part of my brain that yeah, like, but helped me realize things that I had to look at it from a, 
like, you know, how you create a scene and you're going to go totally around it and you're going to look at everything. You're going to visualize yeah. it. And I visualize that I want these things around me and other things I don't. And I said, I'm going to do whatever I have to, to create that. And that meant okay. cutting people off, being celibate, uh, not going out as much, not doing certain things and visualizing what I wanted. And it, and all of a sudden it just started to click. Everything started to like work. Like, a, like I could feel the puzzle pieces hit, you know, clicking in there. And, and I said, Holy shit, you know, this. Yeah. And I don't know. Did, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It's. But it happened, but it, that's the metamorphosis of you because prior to that, you, you know, and you still are a financial planner and that's, you know, that's kind of, that's your vocation and you actually are really good at it and you love doing it, but yet somewhere something clicked to say, I'm going to do screenwriting now because in, you know, well, you know, you know who encouraged me. I mean, you were a great team. You're a great encouragement. Oh, and it's called circle of being the people who are ah. around you at that 12 to 14, the people yeah. who are around you and who influence you and the things that influence you are your circle of being. And that blossoms what how the character grows. So I take mm -hmm. every character I ever write from 12 to 14 and figure out what they did and what that they bring in the good and the bad into the present uh, wow. of the beat or this or the, or the scene. So, um, yeah, but you know, being a financial planner, the other thing too, is you have to be empathetic and you have to, it, it actually helped me to relate to people better by studying screenwriting because I can almost, you know, when you create dialogue, you almost know the right questions to say to spur the other person to say something else hmm. in a more creative way than just asking it. Like, remember, like, it's like what you don't say versus what you do say. Uh, and that actually helped me to become better with money, uh, would help people with their money by learning these other skills. And James Altucher told me that would happen. He says, when you do this, it'll open this up for you. And I said, what? Okay. And it did. He was absolutely right. Yeah, he's right about a lot of things. And he's somebody that uh, whose writing I look up to a lot. And you have done a lot of writing in your general and just, you know, your Money Muse blog, which I love. And you write a lot in there, but you've talked about the intersection of that screenwriting and how it changed your life because and it seems to have changed it for the better even. Right. Yeah. I mean, it helped me understand me. It helped me understand what I wanted, right. what I didn't want. And when I started to understand that I had drama <laughs> and I didn't want it, I had to figure out a way to resolve the conflict. And the way I did it, I had to take some pretty drastic steps to get there. Yeah. Um and I did. Um, and I loved every step. Matter of fact, I was, I was starting to like it too much. I was starting to like being alone too much. I was starting to like not seeing, not dating, not being with, not having a girl, not, not being, not having any kind of female. I, I, in other words, I started mm -hmm. to really revel in the alone time. It became intoxicating. I loved oh. being alone so much that I didn't think about all the other stuff anymore. I didn't think about dating. I didn't think about sex. I didn't think about anything. 
I was happy as hell um, writing and working, focusing on these goals, my dogs, the garden. Yeah. I don't know. It was like, you know what? But if I don't make this change, like, and I don't care about being alone because I'm never alone. You know, I might really never date again. I, I forgot how to do it. Uh, it's really weird. Um, so I'm saying is when you focus in on yourself, there's so many things that happen. It becomes, it's becomes like this. And I'm sure you feel this way. A lot of times it, you become so intoxicated and so happy with the way your life is. You don't want anything that's going to say, Oh, what's going to interrupt all this bliss and awareness that I'm going through right now that I don't want, I don't want to go through. Well, that's where I'm at right now with my life because, and you know me well enough that I've always pined to be in a relationship and I'm at that point now where that I kind of really don't want to upset that apple cart right now because I've got this wonderful barista job. I have an owner that, that truly cares about my well-being, make sure I get enough hours, all this other stuff. And to the point where we text message each other about the shop and whatever, but then we also talk about things like the four agreements. You know, so I've got this mm -hmm. like wonderful little balance going here for the last couple of months and it's been great. And I'm just, I'm like you where you're like, yeah, it'd be nice to have a relationship, but I don't want that apple cart upset right now. I really don't want any of that garbage. But you know what happens is what happens. It just comes along then it comes along. And yeah. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the relationship all the relationships we've had. I'm not talking about the relationships that don't mean anything. What I'm saying is, and it's going to be pretty cliche where I'm going because I never thought I'd go here, but you're going to find someone you've never had before that you would never would be with, regardless. Hi there. Um, it was amazing that the non-focus on it is going to attract it to you. The right, the right thing, the right people. Right. Because once you align positively to this, the right people come in and all the people that would have you would have attracted 10 years ago, you you wouldn't, you wouldn't. So I'm telling you, the path you're on right now is gonna lead you to some amazing stuff. And you know what's funny? It's happened in our 50s. That's the funny part. It didn't happen in our 20s. It's, it's in, and I listened to this song by Alan Jackson, and he says something in there about, even if I could, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't ask to be any younger than I am or where different than where I am right now because of everything I learned and where I am. And I laugh at that because I always thought, you know, having all this youth and this is great and I feel in, in invincible but you know what i wouldn't trade anything from where i am right now and it happens it happened in our 50s it didn't happen yeah mm -hmm. in our 30s like this is like the best time um it so really once is you, once you're in that groove like you're in now because that's how i started my groove like where you are like doing these kinds of things in another year you'll go wow I am truly grateful every day for all the shit that I went through to get to where I am right now. And every day I, I say this um, uh, to someone I care about very much. I say, I'm grateful. 
every day. Uh, but you know how it is. Grateful, you got to work on grateful. Grateful just doesn't happen. Yeah, I don't that's think it just happens. You just have to be aware of it. I, I like that. Go ahead. No, I mean, even when shit goes wrong, I've got to say, it's it's happened for a reason. Yeah, um, getting to a point in life where you understand all the lessons that you've learned, all those things have given me this opportunity to now literally be a barista and do all of those kinds of things. But and where my priorities have shifted and now I'm really starting to read people's energy better to where I can sift and sort through people that like I used to always attract high anxiety people in my life mm -hmm. because they always mistook my stoicism for being strong and whatever, even though I'm not, but now I'm starting to be strong and now I'm starting to see other people's energy and go, this is not who I am anymore. And that's not what I want. Right. You're setting those definitions in your head. And once yes. you set those definitions, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You can't go back. It's like you will turn your head and that won't be there. It's the weirdest thing. So it's now as you're setting me. these definitions, it's, Keep going. You don't, you're doing no, you don't go back. Here. Yeah, you don't yeah. go back. And I find that people like some people that text message me like, oh, I'm sorry. Yep. No, I don't need that energy. It's not good for me. It's not healthy. And I, I screw up once in a while here. And I'm here to tell you I will, but I'm okay with it because I'm starting to finally see, like I had a, a moment where we, a couple customers came in from Austin and I read their energy and I could just feel it. And I like, I could feel it as a presence in that room when I was just standing and talking to this amazing young couple from Austin. And I just, I, I saw the light in them. And now I'm at, at that point where I'm starting to see that and starting to go, this is not a good energy person. Okay. This is a great energy person. And now yeah. that's just, I mean, I'm at that point where like, just like you, where it was just, this is bliss. This is great. And, and Rich, you know, I live in like a tiny little, you know, trailer, seriously, a redneck trailer. And I'm happy with where I live. I, I own a house in Houston, Oklahoma city and Omaha. And I love this trailer more than I love any of those houses. I really do. I, because it's not about what's around you anymore. Right. But it's not that. about the stuff you have. It's, it's really different. Um, it is. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't need the trappings of a lot of stuff. Um, and um, I don't need a 5,000 square foot house, a 3,000 square foot house. I don't need all this stuff. Um, you know, it, you, you really, to your point, you're happy if you're happy within yourself and you create these things that make you feel good. It doesn't matter the size of the walls around. Um, those are all those were rules set by other people. You know, when I wrote the rifleman script, I went yep. and I just got on the plane to L.A. and I started just knocking on everybody's door. Like I went to Chris Pine's management company 
I went to all these places and I actually got in like, because I'm going to go where no one else, but you know, people are people. Right. And I wound up yep. talking about the script to people at a reception at certain management company, Quentin Tarantino's management company. And they go, well, we don't take scripts like this. I said, okay, you know, we don't take anybody. We just don't, this is not how it's done. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I just wanted to talk to you and leave it. Whether you read it or not, I don't really care. Um, mm -hmm. And I went to that and I met uh, the, 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 the son of the producer of The Rifleman and sat in his law office and saw all these incredible things around me from the big Valley and all the shows and, you know, you know, me and Westerns, right. So yep. I'm in heaven here. And all I did was get on the plane and walk into his office. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody should do this, but what I'm saying is you get to a point in your life where the rejection really doesn't mean anything. If you, and if you're doing something you love, if you love the process, like you like doing this, you really love doing this, yeah. whether it has 100 people listening or 10 million people listening, you're still going to do it. It, yep. because you're like, I can sit and write a thousand scripts and sell one, not sell another. I get, I mean, I get, I mean, you know how it is. Send yeah. your script out and you get, someone's telling me, well, you know, the character, the protagonist really should be a girl, not a boy. Well, you're changing the whole story on them. So either you don't like the story, you're not giving me constructive criticism you're just telling me to change the story. So, I, you know, you're going to have people that say, I don't like the story. That doesn't mean you're not, or I don't like this podcast. It doesn't right. mean you're not talented. Right. I've seen people dislike shit like, you know, The Godfather or the book, The Grapes of Wrath. That's a terrible book. And I look at people going, are you out of your mind? But then I realize everybody's got an opinion about everything. Yep. Right. So the point is like, yeah, if you want to change my main character from a boy, to a girl because it fits the narrative. That's not my story. This happened to a boy. Um, not a boy who wants to be a girl, which is fine if that's what you want to do, but that's not the story. Right. Um, so everybody has got an opinion. You keep trying like you do with the podcast and you get enough of your crap. Uh, what is it? Uh, Savini Rao used to say it. Don't worry about the size of your audience. Just be happy with the audience that you have. And that's, and my, that's where I'm at with the podcast, though. But that's where you have to be with a script or a book that you write or a novel or whatever piece that you're creating, whatever it is, even if it's a financial plan. Some people might not like that. Some people might not like whatever. So what? Right. But you know what? If this if someone says that to you in your 20s, that can sort of devastate you. True. And when you're in your 50s, 40s and 50s, you're like, and you've been through all this shit, you go, you know what? Okay. You got to love the process you're doing. You've got to love the whole, you know, if people, hey, you want to go out? and No, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write. Um, because I love the process. If you love the process, the end product doesn't really matter. Uh, if something good happens from it, great. Um, you know, I sold a script. I sold a Kojak script. I don't know if it's ever going to get produced. I don't care. Uh, people go, well, don't you care if it's never up on the film? No. Uh, I know that's weird. I loved writing it. I love creating new, I love creating the characters or morphing Kojak into someone of a 
more tragically funny guy stuck in the past as opposed to just being some cool guy who can solve crimes, right? I gave him right. a little bit of a good character flaw. And he wasn't perfect, right? Like, take that lollipop out of your mouth. You look stupid. <laughs> and, you know, he's sort of out of place because he's still in the 70s, but it's really the 90s. Um, so what I'm saying is you write or you do what inspires you and love that process. And whatever happens happens it makes you a better person and you know that's sort of where i've been and kind of where i am with the podcast because i you know joe rogan who gets you know a big spotify contract and millions of listeners and and viewers on youtube he just started just that podcast in the 90s just so he and his friends could just sit there and smoke weed and laugh and they recorded it and I do, I do, and I listen to that podcast, and I like it, right? I like it. There's nothing special about it. It's, it's, it's. I like him. I love his. I think I like listening to it. But I, he comes across to me like that's what he did. Like I'm doing this for me. I really love doing this. And then you can all sit in if you want. You know, and I really, I enjoy the podcast and I'm not really a big podcast person and I really enjoy his podcast uh, and his interviews and, and all that. But I bet that's exactly how he started. Like you said, it's like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And there are some real glitzy podcasts out there that don't get, that don't take off. Cause you know what they miss? They miss heart. They miss heart. They miss, so there's some, there's a lot of soulless shit going on. Um, right right now you know it right you see it all around yeah, I do. You, right yep um so it could be a movie it could be something that has a bit of soul to it and people gravitate to it and a podcast like that has some soul to it um and you gravitate to it um but man there are a lot of empty vessels walking around man it i avoid more people than i see i will tell you that you avoid people more than you seek. That's interesting. Uh, but I like it, but that is also saying no, so your yes means more because you could go out there and do that and seek everybody. But that's also part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is I know, the, like I think this is my 19th episode, which isn't a lot, but I'm still getting used to it. And sometimes my, you know, it's a great podcast. Sometimes it's average and, Sometimes I'm really great. Sometimes I'm not. I don't know. So I just keep doing it because, dude, I get, I mean, you've been on the set of Walking Dead. You've been on other movie sets and TV shows. And you know that adrenaline rush of walking on set, even if you're not working, it's, there's that palpable energy. And that's what I get out of this. Every, day, every time I record a podcast, I go, that's what it's about. You know, it's funny, that's, there is an energy there. And you know what? It comes back to that circle of being. When I was 12 to 14, I lived on, my escape was movies, were movies and television. But the, my escape was all these other worlds. So like on Facebook, um, you know, my friends are, I have a lot of financial friends, but my friends are more, more into actors and people I've admired since I'm a kid. 
like from Night and Living Dead or Alan Ormsby, who wrote uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things and Death Dream, right? Real B shocker movies that, you know, he's on Facebook sharing all his attitude about things. And, you know, now I'm connected with them on Facebook and that's the cool part of social media. Um, but yeah, there's something magical. And I never, ever wanted to be an actor. I never wanted that limelight. I always loved the behind the scenes stuff. I, I thought the magic were the people that created the scene, the writing and the nuances of the words. Um, so yeah, um, you know, a lot of quiet time on some of the sets that were very cool that I really enjoyed. But, um, but I will tell you though, um, I think the podcast is great. And I think you have, like I always said, I always wanted to work at Buckley's. Like I said, when I retire, I'm going to work the fudge department at Bucky's because that would be the coolest fucking job in the <laughs> oh, world. I love it. The second next best job would be not Starbucks because I hate Starbucks and their coffee, but to be like a barista in a very small townish coffee shop like you're doing. That was my second because of the people I would meet and things that I would pick up from them that I could learn about to write and the characters, um, you know, the dimensions of people I would see um, coming into like a resort place that come in and out, the flow. Yep, yep. This is the different people coming in and out, like at Bucky's, right? How many people go in and out of Bucky's every day, right? You're going to meet a couple of characters, right? Especially Texas, everybody's willing to talk to you. So I was like, that's going to be my job. My girlfriend laughs at me. She's like, that's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, what better place is to learn about people? Uh, so the, I find that fascinating because we get Rockport, Texas is a tourist town. So I get to meet all those kinds of people. And I've been doing this for two months now. I think this week will be my eighth week for some reason. And this is the weirdest part. I'm, I know what week I'm on at work. It's, that's just the weirdest anomaly. Well, I'll ask you a question now. You ask me a question. First thing is, I'd always have my journal with me at this place you work, because I'd always be jotting down something about somebody. But how is this different than working for a, like a big corporation like Walmart? Well, how is this different than working from a corporation? Um, I had an interesting chat because I have a, a really good friend that owns a, a cute little cottage here. So we go over and we drink wine and we talk. And the answer to that is I have an owner that I, that owns this coffee shop and it's never done a coffee shop before, literally. And yet she helps me see the big picture of what she wants to do with this coffee shop. So I buy into the big picture. And when you work for, I've worked for Walmart, I've worked for a company in Houston called Enbridge, which had like 10,000 people, which is yep. small. But you still, I have to buy into the big picture of stuff, of what we're doing. And I buy into the big picture on, in small businesses. When I was a computer consultant, my favorite firms to work for were the boutique ones with less than 100 employees. Yep. I don't know why, but I just, I get energy from, like yesterday, I was, my owner was on her way back to Texas and we're talking about it, you know, inventory and all this other stuff. Cause I kind of do pseudo operation stuff. And 
I'm buying into the big picture of her success. And that's fine. Uh-huh. That's why big corporations don't work for me. Cause, and it's okay to me to say that their, their success is based on who the, on their board and making, you know, driving shareholder equity and all of that good stuff. And I get it. And I'm, I'm okay with that, but that doesn't help me being a Walmart associate buy into what Walmart was doing as a whole, because it's such a big company. That's why I like it because I feel I had a a manager at Enbridge in Houston that says, and she told me this light bulb idea about myself and said, Hey, you have to buy into the big picture of whatever project we're working on. And once you buy into it, you're all in. And I said, yeah, that's true. I never looked at it that way. So that's, a long answer to why big corporations don't work for me. And, you know, I love being, you know, even on a, that's why films drive a different part of me. I even had a dream last night that I was producing a film, which is kind of weird, but there's a bigger picture because we're all looking at the same end and goal is that movie or that short film or that feature, whatever it is, you already know what the end goal is. So everybody is working towards that, whether it's somebody in craft services, making sure people have food or the lighting guy or gal who's like making sure that that particular shot has the perfect lighting, you know, based on what time of day it is, where they are and and whether or not all of that stuff, they all buy into one picture. So that's why films tapped into that part for me as well. I, I think there's a soul and a blood. There's a heart to small business and there is none of that in large companies. I don't see it. So I agree with you. I think that you'll, you'd be a major contributor to this woman and her business. And yet at the same time, fulfill what you want. I think that that's great. Uh, I think that that's a, you know, and I think that's what we learn as we get older. We'll do, we want to contribute, but we also want to make sure that there are certain values and standards we're going to follow that we can't follow it here, but we can here. It's the same thing with people. It's the same thing with the people you come across. Either this yeah. person is going to increase my energy, but I could also increase theirs. It's a synergy, or we're going to suck each other dry here, not in a good way, and um, it doesn't work. Yeah. And um, you that's where you have your, your boundaries. And, um, I do too. And I think that that's very healthy. Um, and it's funny too, because and I told my owner of this, it's just once, cause the thing was built, she had this idea in May and opened it up late November, early December last year. So it's very new to Rockport. And I said, once this thing really steamrolls and becomes successful, everybody's going to want a PCU. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Because I got a lot of people coming at me. I'm like, yeah, but same goes for both of us and what we've done. And you've, you know, we're in our 50s and we are getting to that Zen like blissful feeling because I freaking love my life. I pretty much I haven't had a bad day since I started that job. I've not had <sighs> like a day where I was depressed about anything. And when you start getting doing that and you get that momentum, people are going to want to be a part of that because. They didn't know yep. how they did it. And that's also part of why I'm, I'm a coach because I want to help people understand this bliss, the see that it's not about stuff. I love what you said earlier. It's not about how big your wall is. That was, that hit me for some reason 
deep because I've had sports rooms. I've owned three different houses, which owned loose because I had basically a mortgage, but still I had the financial where of, you know, well-being to make down payments on houses and have mm-hmm. a home. And that doesn't seem important to me anymore. But yeah, because you have the home. Your home yeah. is inside you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always grew up very insecure because I we never knew. You know, we're gonna have a have, we gonna have a roof over our heads and and all that. And I le- I learned to gain that insecurity, that security inside me first. Um, and it got to the point where again, I didn't care what other people thought. If I wanted to do something different, I'm gonna do it. Thanks for your feedback. Uh, but it is what it is. And, um, I think that just takes time to, uh, develop. So now we're in that stride and we've got that tailwind. Uh, and it doesn't mean that tailwind doesn't mean a 10,000 square foot house. The tailwind does is the inner peace, the sanctity, the, 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 the feeling of, like you said, that the momentum that is all from this mental awareness that has nothing to do with any kind of financial success. It, it has to do with the internal success that I think I finally got this shit right of whatever this life is supposed to be. Yep. And uh, that's, I wouldn't trade any amount of money for that. There's no uh, amount of money that, I would trade for that. That's where I'm but, at now too, because, uh, you know, most coaches will go and, well, if you had, if money wasn't an object, blah, blah, blah. Well, that introduces already the mindset of lack. And that's where you don't want to get to. You want to go to the mindset of abundance of what, you know, first, what do you got? What are you grateful? And I, I look at, I look at, I go to where if I get like sad, which I have, I'll look at what's in my cupboard. Okay. I've got food. I've got a roof over my head and I've got this amazing dog. I've got a job so, yes. where that yeah. schedule were four days a week, exact same schedule, four days a week, no changes. I get three days off every week, every week I have a three day weekend. And yet I still get the hours of still making money to pay my rent, all of that stuff. Like that's what it's about. It's not about winning it the lottery. It's about that. And if you need a gratefulness check, like yesterday I did, I felt a little out of sorts and I don't know why. You know, felt maybe because the weather was sort of, yeah. So what I did was I went to the thrift store. I went to this thrift store, this big Salvation Army thrift store. I said, okay, I'm going to go through this store. And I went through this store and the line to check out was out the door. These people have nothing and they're buying all these clothes and like, in other words, I said, oh, my gosh, you know, this store was terrible. It was, you know, there was clothes everywhere, smelled bad. Um, and people were just going through trying to, I could see one, one mother with her child trying to find clothes and, you know, these all these dirty shoes. And people are buying all this stuff because people are so poor. Um, you know, overall, a lot of people can't even raise 500 bucks to, you know, for an emergency. So it was good. I mean, I didn't go through there to feel better about myself. I just wanted to get more grounded 
on who shops here. Like I pass this place all the time and the lot's always full. Uh, you always see these HGTV. Well, I found this beautiful wood and bed at the... <laughs> Nothing like that at this thrift store, okay? I mean, I'm surprised some of the stuff was for sale, but people were buying it. And the line, again, of not just one, not one person per basket, but families lined up to buy. And they weren't buying stuff that, you know, hey, I, you know, I, ne- I need a television. It was, you know, T-shirts and shorts and shoes and, you know, what I would consider basics. And I walked out of there and I went, you know what? I have nothing in this world to be complaining about. Nothing. Nor should I be sad at this point. So, you know, sometimes you need an alignment. It's okay. That's always good. And a lot of people in... My spiritual world, everybody says, just go out and walk in the grass. You can, when you connect to Mother Earth and bare feet, it's, there's nothing like it in the world. And it just, and I'm blessed because I, can, I don't even have a car, but I can ride my bike to the, and sit and watch the waves. It's a mile. It's well, a that's, mile. That's got to be therapeutic just to sit by the water. Yep. It always is for me because the beach at night is my favorite place, even during the day. We have a lot of tourists and whatever, but it's just great therapy for me, but always get grounded. And once in a while I'll get it and like, okay, I'll find a way to find abundance and gratefulness and get myself grounded to where I know that that's why I like the beach at night. I'm a little speck, you know, and I watch the stars and those stars, it took millions of years for me to see that light. So I'm like, okay, this is where you are. Cool. Good. And, I'm, and yeah. I'm back into a better, and as you said, and I like the way you said it, was it gets yourself into alignment. And that's what we all need alignment from I time live. to time. I don't care how self-aware you are. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you're going to be pulled out of joint and it, you don't even know what it is. Um, could be a dream you had the night before you don't remember. Who knows? Yep. Um, no. No, but uh, yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. I I knew you'd be a fun guest on my podcast. I've been meaning to ask you to be on and I know you're busy because you're on which television station do you do in Houston now that you go do your morning thing with? Which one is it? Uh, I do Fox and uh, KPRC and uh, I, I, you know, I do for every station, almost 13. Um, And then we have a radio show every day, but I do Friday radio show. It's much mm-hmm. more of a personal finance, like, hey, what, what do you need to do to get your shit in order that the financial right. mainstream doesn't tell you about? Because all they tell True. you to do is to put money in the stock market and your life is going to be great. Because um, everything is, you know, because, you know, if, it's, if you don't invest in the stock market, you, you know, you're a loser. Um, <laughs> so I try to get people out of that mindset to say, listen, you got to get your financial life in order. Uh, and uh, this is how you do it, and it's nothing as complicated as uh, these people try to make it sound to you because they need to warrant their seven-figure patrons. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, all's good, all's busy, but always happy to sit, talk to you. I haven't talked to you in a while, so that's great. Yeah, we haven't actually talked, talk, and, and I love hearing your – personally, I love your philosophical insights because, like, 
the how doesn't care you don't care how big your wall is that's an amazing that just i don't for some reason that hit me and, and that's a great thing because and i learned also a 12 to 14 year old thing and i'm going to leave you with this cool story because there's this little field that i when i ride to work my bike to work there's this little field that reminds me of kelly when i was 12 to 14 years old where we would just go and this town is a lot like the town i grew up in you know it's a lot bigger population wise but it's a lot like it and there's this little field there i could see myself you know i literally have conversations with young me that was formed in that little time period mm -hmm. and i'm going when you talked about that i'm like oh that's me in that little field it's like, Isn't that funny though? There's some, there's, yeah, there'll be something, and it's not just a field. Yeah, there's oh, something in that field. It's something yeah. in that field, right? That, yeah, like there was the other day, there was, I went out there in the morning, I get out the outside in the morning, and there was this aroma in the air, oh. sort of like a peppery kind of, so, like summer, smell like summer. And I remember that as a kid. Uh, and, you know, there are these triggers that you get that, open up oh. your mind. Like when you were in that field, all of a sudden you're, you're having this conversation with, you know, younger Kelly. And yep. like you feel, but you still have that feeling that younger Kelly had in that field. It's the weirdest thing. You can still remember that feeling you had at 12 or 13 and still having your fifties. Yeah. And what's really cool about it. And, and you know how hung up I used to be on my past. And now that younger me is cheering me on. Like I've had visions of him just running alongside my bike, cheering me on because I'm riding my bike to work, you know, and trying to make a ends meet, whatever. And when you look at your life and you see your younger self cheering you on, you know, you're, you're making the right changes to be a better human. Cause if I can be kind of, it's Dr. John Bradshaw wrote a book, many years ago called the about your inner child and i i never finished it but i read some of it and it's about healing that inner child inside of you but that 12 to 14 year old that you talk about in screenplays but when you can talk to that and that inner child starts becoming your fan instead of this broken spirit you become really powerful i spent i can't even tell you how many hours i spent with dr bradshaw at his house Really? Talking I did about not know this. Right. In the nineties, John Bradshaw wrote that book. That Brad, wow, because that book, I years ago I read the, and I thank my mom for this. She told me, Kelly, you're kind of codependent, and she gave me this book by Melody Beatty, Codependent No More. That led me to Dr. Bradshaw's book as well. So wow. uh, Nicole Nicole Beatty was the writer on The Walking Dead. Her daughter. Well, Really? The one that you just messaged out of the blue and uh -huh. whatever? Mm -hmm. I did not know that that connection even existed at all. That's like, that's deep trivia to me. <laughs> and wow. Dr. Bradshaw used to live in, well, I think he probably still lives in Houston, but I'd see him often at his place. And he was just an amazing, he had a PB, he had the PBS show at the time. Uh, he was amazing to talk to in person. His whole face, his his demeanor, who he was, uh, amazing to talk to. Amazing to talk. To. 
but, but I was helping him out with some financial stuff years ago when I first started. Um, and uh, was at his house quite a bit. And he, you know, I had all his books and, you know, he's just a rock star. A rock star. That makes me very happy. But again, when I get uh, nuggets like this, it just, that's why I do this. Because it reminded me, my second episode was with Carly Street, who wrote Fragile Storm which I, you've seen Fragile Storm, right? And she wrote that and she, I had her on my podcast because I'm like, I'm just going to reach out to people I know and all right, yeah, I'll be on. And she goes and tells me this story about Fragile Storm kind of opened some doors. She started knowing some people that knew Lance and then Lance Henriksen for those listening and gotten, became friends with them and to the point where her and her husband were going to go to Vancouver. She tells me the story of going to Vancouver and, you know, working on something with this person. And then that person knew somebody and got her on, guess what? Her favorite show of all time, which was the X-Files. She was on set with the X-Files and she got to talk to the writer because she's a writer and she, she knew who it was. You go listen to that second episode, you'll hear that entire story, but you knowing Dr. Bradshaw was just like that. It's like, that's why I do this to un- unearth these little nuggets of information that most people don't know. Like Melody Beatty, who wrote Codependent No More, 1980s maybe, 1990-something. Her daughter is a writer for The Walking Dead. Wow. She was. Yeah, she was. A- that's, that blows my mind. That's seriously. But, but, but that's. But- Listen, you know, the world's a lot smaller than you think. What is what? Right. The world's a lot smaller. Oh, yeah. It's very small, actually. I try and teach people down here, especially, but it is smaller than you think because with Carly getting on set and being able to literally sit in a chair next to the writer while they're filming the X-Files, you know. So so Melody Beatty. Um, so Nicole yep. uh, inherited her mom's writing hours um Mm -hmm. nicole probably has some of the best dialogue writing i've ever seen um and melody says gratitude makes sense of our past brings peace for today and creates a vision for tomorrow wow did you ever get to meet her no nicole then cool that's just that again this is why I do my podcast because I love little trinkets of stories like that. And yeah, origin stories are great. And I love the fact that you came from Brooklyn because, and you got to do something I didn't get to do until I was an adult in an airport, looking at people and hearing, thinking they're just like me. And I hear a, you know, Russian coming out of their mouths. And I'm, I'm unlike most people. I was like, that's really cool. And then the next person you hear French and the next person is Spanish. And, and you got to live in that kind of world day to day. And I think that's a wonderful blessing, but it also makes you the most well, a very well-rounded human being because, you know, you grow up in that kind of thing. You don't have any prejudices, prejudices. I can't say that word, but because you're all, you're around so many different cultures so you don't have a choice. I don't even, I don't even understand, you know, again, it's not a political thing. This is a great 
podcast, no. but I don't even understand where no. we are today, where uh, more people, uh, most people I meet are, are not concerned with color of anybody's skin or gender or anything else. They're, they're not. Uh, I don't know if it's a big media push. I don't know what it is, but all I know, all the people I grew up with, people I've been with, our company, which is growing, without the black women, educated women we have on our staff that head up major departments of the company uh, that I'm part of, uh, yep. we wouldn't know what to do without them. We don't look at this. I, I you know, I know, and I grew up in this whole cult, like you said, I, I was in this melting pot of all these different people. I know. And I, listen, you know what? Whether they were black or white, I, I mean, I got beat up by more white people as a kid <laughs> than any black people. Uh, you know, so I always say, right, you know, I know. If, you're a, if you're a jerk, you're a jerk. Right. Uh, it has nothing to do with your color. Um, I agree. But, you know, it's a phase. We'll get through it. Um, we got to stay grounded, do our thing, uh, love the people we should love, get the negative people out of our lives and, uh, you know, do the grit every day. Do work at that gratitude part every day. And that's what I do every day. I wake up in the morning. Um, first thing I do is I get, I drink warm water with lemon and I go sit out, I go out in the yard and I look up and I say, you know, I look at my dogs and I'm like, I'm so grateful you guys are here. The G mm -hmm. word comes right out of my mouth five minutes after I wake up, um, to make sure I start. I am, you know, I'm grateful for this today. I'm grateful for this today. And it just gets my mind aligned. And then I read somewhere and I can't remember that you you are not wired. The, our brains are not wired for happiness. Our brains are wired for unhappiness. We actually have to train our brains to be happy. Yep. We are not wired for happiness. Interesting. Well, that's fa uh, fascinating. And I think we're actually wired for happiness. I think is the programming that the adults give us as children virus to unhappiness but we take that road it's easier to take that road oh it's very yeah it's so the much unhappiness easier. road is very is is a smooth road you. To take versus the graded road uh, so i've decided i'm not going on that road <laughs> take i know but i i've seen the uh, difference in you though when i left houston and now there's you are so grounded now from when I, you know, met you and all that. And all. I just think that's amazing because you are changed. And this podcast have, has done anything for me is it's teaching me to keep on the path that I am because I'm loving every minute of all this beautiful stuff that's happening to you because I'm ridiculously proud of you because I just think you're an amazing human being and other people will go, well, this is Rich Rosso and he's on TV and he's this, this, that, and, you know, James, I'll touch her. We haven't even talked about Kamal Ravikant, who's arguably one of my favorite people in the entire world that I've never. Ama amazing I, writer, amazing human being, amazing yeah. person. Uh, one of the best I, writers out there. Yeah. I love him. I love his writing. He says, and I have his book, Live Your Truth. I hand that out like an evangelist. I really do. I'll bite. I do too. I've got copies. Out. I give them to everybody still. And he's been sort of this. I haven't used to text him quite a bit. He used to be on social media. He hasn't been around. 
But I will tell you, I remember when he was back grappling, getting a dog living in New York, and then he got the dog and he was totally in love with the dog. And, um, but if there's anybody who knows people and himself inside and out, that Live Your Truth book, uh, along with James Altucher, Choose Yourself. If you have yep. to ever read two books and keep them in your yeah. library and go back to them over and over and over and over again, it is Live Your Truth by Kamal Ravikant and Choose Yourself by James yeah. Altucher. You may not do it today because you're going to have to rewire yourself over time. But once you read that stuff, it'll stick in your head and you'll know it's right and you will follow it. You just will. Right. Well, in 2014, when I lost my job, that was the book I bought was Live Your Truth. And that changed my whole outlook. I started because he was in a very dark place and he just wrote this thing and it became this instant bestseller. And he self-published the whole nine yards. And that just, it changed everything about my world. And I became an evangelist about that book. And I still am. I still tell people that's what you need to do. Now he's written one that a produce. he actually has written one that he just revised it a bit. He added some stuff to it. There's another version of it out, but it actually was, it would actually was a, uh, it was actually put out that by, um, can't remember the publisher, but uh, yeah. Wow. But that book, so that book for a self-help book that he self-published was, I don't know how many copies he sold of that darn book. That was, a, but again, when you read it and I still read it and I still got copies I give to everybody. Um, yep. It's the most, Strip yourself naked. Look at who you are. Book I've without any read. lens on. I've ever read. Yeah, there's no BS in there, and I it got me on a meditation track, which I'm still on to this day. It got me on a journaling track, which I'm still on to this day. It, I, you know, when I was in LA, I I was on top of the world. I had plenty of money in my bank, but I still wasn't. I'm I'm more happy now than I ever was in LA, but. I would do his little trick of five minutes in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Looking you know at what I love about LA? What? You know what I love about LA? L- I love the history. So yeah. I became friends with Allison Martino, who does uh, vintage LA. Uh, and, uh, but Al, you know, not friends formally, but we talk, you know, Facebook, we message, and um, she's amazing. And she, and she brings up all the, you know, I love all the vintage um, architecture and, and the restaurants and but every time I go to LA, I'm totally uneasy. Uh, the last time I went was to see Johnny Crawford from The Rifleman. Yeah, and he's just passed. And then we were going to go again before he died. I was bringing my daughter to visit him. Um, and then the whole pandemic hit. Um, you know, so LA's got this. You know, because we love. You know, we're like movie geeks, right? So LA is like, you know, I feel like I'm sometimes mesmerized by everything LA based on just, you know, there's yeah. this, this guy, this, this guy on YouTube, I can't remember his name, but he'll take like the three stooges, the little rascals, all these shows we watch as kids. And he'll say, here's a scene. And then he fades it into what the location looks like today. Oh, no it, kidding. I want to see that. Oh, you got to look it, it up. Um, yeah. It, but what he does, and he, he's got a huge following on YouTube. He'll take like, there's this great scene. There's this great little rascals when they made their own truck and they're going down the hill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, or like when uh, Three Stooges are walking all these stairs up with the ice 
and he shows the locations of all these different places that these plates they're filmed and what they look like in LA today, especially around the Hal Roach studios. It is, I mean, I can watch that thing. I think last Saturday I, I said, my gosh, so it's like three hours later. I'm still looking at. Yeah. Uh, but that's great. And Los Angeles has an amazing history that 90% everybody thinks Hollywood and celebrities and movie studios. And that's great. Cause like I read, you know, when I first got here, I, I literally going back to a used bookstore, went to a used bookstore, found that uh, Lauren Bacall memoir. And that, that talks about the 1940s and, you know, Cecil DeMeyer and the, how all that worked. And I was fascinated by it, but you have to go back about 200 years before all of that. Okay. So that it's was, called, so, you know, Chris, yeah, yeah. C-H-R-I-S Bungo studios all one word chris bungo studios so look up he'll start with i've got uh, three stooges filming locations charlie chaplin our gang and then he morphs them into oh what goodness. they look like today it's it's i mean i love to see it it's yeah i mean i spent i can't tell you how many hours i still watch well i think stuff. that's neat because all of that is just you know like if you ever go back to LA, I really uh, you need to go to the V Wine Bar, and I'll text you the address because it's over there on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood, and it's Charlie Chaplin's old library, but it's a wine bar with curated wines only from California, and the guys that are originally that have done it, it's it's fronted on the front side by on Santa Monica Boulevard by a cheese shop, so they bring cheese boards and stuff, but he goes into all these vineyards in California and brings wines back. And sells them and pour, you know, have pours for you. But it's Charlie Chaplin's old library, and I just love. Uh, stuff definitely, like I'm that. going back. I don't know when because I'm also want to go back to. I uh, uh, did the the Forest Lawn Cemetery in Hollywood Forever, so I want to go back. Yeah, I so. used to drive by that every day. But um, that place is great. The V Wine Bar, and the, the, here's the funny part. And my grandma always said, "You talk to somebody long enough, you find something in common." The owners were originally from Nebraska. <laughs> and one weekend I was there and his parents came in and they knew everything about where I grew up and everything. Where, not Iowa, but all, I, you know, I've got relatives everywhere in Nebraska. And they're like, yeah, I know. So, yeah, I know people in Lexington. I, I had a girl in my coffee bar earlier today. She was not today, but last Sunday. And she's from Nebraska. And it's like, yeah, I know people in Lexington, which is where my aunt's family's from. The world is smaller than it, we think it is. It it's is. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you've got clients and you've got other stuff going on and your news shows and all of that, but I'll leave you with the fact that I'm really proud of you and your growth. And I'm glad that I've kind of got a little bit of validation that I'm on the right path as well. So that's you did. listening to you, you are. helps I'm me telling understand you. that. You are. You're, right. I mean, that I took the path, and I'll tell you, it was it. Uh, I mean, it's it's led to amazing things. Well, that's wonderful, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate your time. And to all of our friends in our inner circle, please sell them high and give them hugs for me. And I will. We'll be in touch, and I'll get. I'll let you know when we I publish this on social media. Blah blah blah. So sure. 
Thanks, Thanks Kelly. Bud. Appreciate Talk to you. Too. All, All right, right man. Bye.